lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show live here in Utah or Idaho, give them a call. Tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com, and they can watch the show through live streaming video. Just click on the TV shows and follow the instructions from there. Listen, if you have questions about local or or national news regarding our ministry and what's going on, also go to the website, bornagainmormon.com. You can get all the information there. The Lord certainly works in mysterious ways. If you've been watching the show for any amount of time, you've probably heard my story about having been LDS, active for 40 years, served a mission, married in the temple, all kinds of callings, priesthoods, things like that. And then I was kind of at a very, not kind of, I was at a low point of my life in 1997 and I turned on a radio program as I was going to pick my daughters up uh, from a practice and I heard a radio preacher, pastor, man, giving a message and he, uh, I listened to him and long story short, by the end of that day, because of that message, it changed my life radically. Four years later, I remained LDS for four years, and I wrote a book. I asked to be excommunicated. I entered a school of ministry full-time in Southern California, and in a very roundabout way, God's hand, uh, we have this show now. In all these years, I never informed that radio preacher or pastor how he had affected my life. His name was Dr. Charles, or name is Dr. Charles Stanley. Well, three months ago, our station manager, uh, Denny, and his wife, Michelle, w visited a uh, national religious broadcasters convention and had a chance to meet with Dr. Stanley and pass that on, and he said he would like to meet me. So last week, my wife and I, we flew to Atlanta, and we went to his church, and I had an opportunity to, uh, to hug Charles Stanley, thank him for uh, bringing me to the Lord, and... Uh, then I was interviewed on a uh, national uh, radio and television program from his studios, and uh, we have a clip of that to show you right now. What happened when you started to let people know that you were born again? Well, uh, that was that's a very good question because as a Latter-day Saint, outwardly looking LDS, playing the part, but inwardly being dead, I was fully accepted. But when I started talking about Jesus and being born again, I started running into all kinds of trouble. Even the name Jesus yeah, is not used a lot. Not used a lot. More and more, and that's something we can talk about, how they're becoming much more uh, astute at how they're becoming ingratiated into the body or trying to. 
but uh, we'll talk about that. But no, Jesus, it's not. It's the Savior. It's the Lord. It's Christ. Christ is always, but Jesus, no. You say Mormons know their place in the church, but they really don't know God as intimately as, as you do. No, it's impossible because they aren't spiritually regenerated. Spiritual rebirth is not part and parcel of the LDS doctrines. And tell people what you mean by spiritually regenerated. I mean being born again. They do not teach you that you need to be born again. It is in one of their books, but it is very rarely touched upon. And the reason for that is they don't believe you're born sinful. They believe you're born a child of God. So what is the purpose of being regenerated or reborn if you're born a child of God? So they go along their life thinking, God is my father. I am his child. He loves me unconditionally. True. But they don't realize that they have been distanced by him from sin. Now, their sins might not be super egregious, but they have sin that separates them. It's almost a pharisaical type of problem. They're really good at the law, but they don't have the spirit, and their hearts have never been reconciled to the Father because of the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting him, confessing themselves a sinner. It's just not part of the LDS experience. And you say in the book, you know, when you told people that you were born again, that they said that's self-centered, that's that's evil, that, oh, yeah. that's man-made. Yeah. And yeah. you actually got some threats? Oh, uh, threats about where I was uh, going. Yeah, you are going to hell. You know, this is on a road to uh, a perdition. A lot of that, uh, even from my own family. But yeah, because they believe that it was an emotional experience that I had in order to placate my old cankered soul, they didn't realize that it was far from emotionalism, that it was a spiritual experience, and, uh, and it's because they don't, they don't have it, they don't understand it. They just don't understand that because they haven't experienced it. Yeah, somehow, explain why the LDS Church seems to focus on outward compliance with laws, laws and, and rules and regulations of the church, you know, rather than the inward peace that you get from God, it, it seems like such a contradiction. Yeah, they, uh, they are uh, right up there with uh, Islam as far as legalism. They believe you are going to progress to God through your obedience to laws and ordinances of the gospel. And so uh, it's really more what you do than what you are. Always has been. And we've got a call. So truly the Lord works in mysterious ways. Ten years later after uh, I heard Dr. Charles Stanley, uh, his ministry recently bought that network, uh, Family Net T uh, Network of Christian, and I'm sitting there on uh, one of his uh, shows, and uh, Lord works in mysterious ways. Uh, we are really grateful. We want to pause for a moment, uh, the people in our ministry, and thank you for all that you do for us. People step forward in a variety of different ways to keep the ministry going. Many of you have long uh, dedicated yourselves to praying for us. And if we need anything in our ministry, it's your prayers. They are going to make the, uh, the difference between uh, us reaching people and not. So we thank you for that. We thank you for sending us information. People send us stuff that keeps us abreast of what's going on within the LDS community at large, and we can't keep up with everything. Much of the things I share with you are from people who have forwarded it to me. It's not from my own uh, sources, so we thank you for that. And then we thank you for sharing the ministry with others by giving them, telling them when we're on KTMW TV 20, giving them our website, sharing with them the book. It's, we're very grateful. And of course, we're grateful for your financial support that you've given us over the years. People who feel inclined and led by the Lord to help us, we thank you for all of those areas as they're so beneficial to uh, helping us in the ministry. Hey, have you decided to join with us in our move to let the church know that we're not going to stand for this anymore? Have you decided to take your name off? 
Have you written your stake president or your bishop and said, I do not want to be associated with Mormonism as it currently stands? If you have uh, trouble writing that letter, you need some help how to do it, go to www.utlm.org. And on there, you can just see a search and it will tell you how to get your name off the records of the church. Tell them that you do not want to be part of the church until they renounce everything that has to do with polygamy. Everything. The LDS Church Salt Lake City has not renounced everything. They still have Doctrine and Covenants 132. They still believe it's an eternal principle. They still practice plural marriage amongst their members spiritually for the eternities. Tell them to remove Section 132, to burn the Book of Abraham, and to close those temple doors, and then maybe you might step back in there. But just, just send the letters and drop off like uh, flies from the screen, and uh, maybe they'll start getting a hint. Because I think if you do it, it's going to help you progress forward, and I think it will help those who remain behind because the leaders may start changing their song a little bit, and we might start, ha start having an effect that way. The unsightly polygamous situation in Texas has given many pause for thought to uh, uh, people who I listen to quite often. Al and John emailed me or called and left a message, and they gave a really important point. They said... The LDS in Salt Lake is doing everything they can in the media to say, we are not part of the FLDS. The FLDS are not part of us. They're a fallen sect. They're not Mormon. They're an offshoot. At bottom line, nobody can consider them true Latter-day Saints or Mormons. Isn't it funny that they believe it's okay to say who is LDS and who is not, the LDS Church in Salt Lake City is saying they're not LDS or they're not Mormon. They're doing that. But a Christian doesn't have the right to look at the LDS and say, you're not Christian. The LDS want to be Christian. They want to have the rights to be an LDS. They want to have it. They want to have their cake and eat it too. And uh, I think as we mentioned last week, the FLDS are actually doctrinally far closer to being true Mormon than the Salt Lake City LDS are. And just to remind you, if you haven't seen the show before, if you are looking at the FLDS and the way they live down in southern Utah or in parts of Canada or in Texas, you are seeing Joseph Smith's Mormonism. You are seeing Brigham Young's Mormonism. The, what you see today is the politicized, uh, uh, maneuvering Mormonism. But doctrinally, when you look at those encampments of people practicing polygamy, you're looking at LDS uh, uh, doctrine and theology in practice and with that let's have a prayer dear lord we love you and we thank you for this airtime it's expensive and we uh, we're thankful that you give it to us we're thankful for our audience here the viewing audience and the audience who have come down to the station we uh, just open up the show to you pray that you'll bless it in jesus name amen I'm very excited about tonight's show because the content to me is rich with uh, great stuff. And it's going to help you as we examine the 17 points of the true church. That's a little card or a little bit of information missionaries and members of the LDS church will use on you or use on people who are searching out to see if they want to join the Mormon church. And it has 17 points, they say, have to belong to the true church of Jesus Christ who they claim they are. Last week, we discussed the first two points. Tonight, we're going to discuss the third, which says the true church must have a foundation of apostles and prophets. 
The Bible passage they use to justify this is Ephesians 2.19. They use biblical passages to support every claim of what the true church is about. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in Scripture. Tonight I'm going to talk about apostles. Next week I'll talk about the prophets part of the foundation. Tonight just apostles. The LDS Church today, going back to uh, almost the beginning, has always maintained a quorum of 12 apostles. 12 men who they say fill the office of apostle that Jesus has called. We had Jesus' initial 12, and the LDS say they have consistently had 12, 12 more men who continue to carry on that office here in the modern-day church. The LDS missionaries teach that these apostles hold this very sacred office and that uh, you can trust that they are truly men called of God, and they are Jesus' apostles. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ built upon a foundation of apostles and prophets? Absolutely, yes. That's a biblical truth, Ephesians 2.19. So how are the LDS abusing this passage through their interpretation of it? Let me explain. Paul calls believers a household of God. He calls believers a household of God, okay? And he says that they are built upon a foundation of apostles and prophets. Now, if you were to build a house, you would start with the foundation. And once it was laid and cured, you would then build your house upon it. And this house, again, was called the household of God, right? But you would build your foundation first. How often, once you built that house, would you go back and tear up the foundation? How many times when you build a normal house do you go back and say, let's rip up the foundation now? The only time you would do it is if it was faulty. Is the foundation that Jesus Christ laid with the apostles and prophets before him, is it faulty? No. So there is no reason for it to be ripped up and reconstituted ever. It was laid and now upon that, God builds his church of believers, okay? You might redecorate, you might remodel the house, it might go through changes, you might add all kinds of things, but you won't mess with the foundation unless it's faulty. So you have to say that if the foundation is being reorganized with new apostles, then it has to be faulty from the start, and that's just not the case. Jesus laid it with apostles and prophets, himself being the chief cornerstone. But here's the kicker. We know that this foundation was laid and permanently laid once and forever by looking at a number of things in the scripture. I'm going to share those things with you tonight. And if you take them, write them down, or get, get the show online and watch it again, and you learn these things, when you talk to missionaries, you point these things out, and they will drop this argument that they have apostles that are just like Jesus Christ. Okay, the first thing we can look at is the Greek. If you look at the Greek word here, which is epoikodo, excuse my uh, uh, pronunciation, epoikodo methentis, that's how you say it, okay? In proper syntax, it is translated having been built. When you say built upon a foundation of apostles and prophets, the syntax is having been built, okay? 
It's an aorist passive participle referring to past action. And in this specific case, it's an action that has been completed. All right. So when you read the Greek in that passage of Ephesians 2.19, you read the Greek, it says, this has been done. It's been completed. All right. My friends, the LDS church system constantly demolishes the foundation that Jesus Christ laid himself with apostles and prophets. And in the apostles case, they replace them with unqualified men. What you might say, how can you say these men are unqualified? You're a mean, mean man, Mr. McCraney. You'll email me. Why our apostles are the most qualified men on earth, you'll say. They're, they're judges and they're physicians and lifelong faithful members of the church. It's not their worldly statue or their clean living that qualifies or disqualifies them as apostles. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul writes... Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Christ our Lord? Okay, there is one qualifier for being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, holding the office of apostle. Paul says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? When the apostles sought to replace Judas with someone to continue on as a personal witness, which was prophesied should occur, and this was one of the reasons they did it. They looked for an individual, which it says in Acts 1, who had accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, even the same day that he was taken up from us. He must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So when the apostles looked to replace Judas who killed himself, they went to find somebody who had been a witness of Jesus and all the things he had done with them from the beginning of his ministry, the baptism of John, all the way through his resurrection. That was a qualifier of who they called as an apostle. So Jesus established his church upon apostles and who Paul said have, by people who have seen him and Peter said who were witnesses of his resurrection, okay? Those are, those are qualifiers of who can be an apostle. Now, as witnesses of him and his resurrection, none of these apostles ever equivocated or hesitated in proclaiming their personal witness of having seen Jesus Christ and do what he did in the body as a resurrected being ascended into heaven. None of them, in fact, all of them except for John were martyred because of this testimony. All of them lost their lives because of it, okay? Since Joseph Smith supposedly restored the true church back to the earth, there have been upwards between 85 and 115, I think, so-called apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ serving in the Mormon church. How many of them have ever said, uncategorically stated, that they have seen Jesus with their own eyes? I want to know. I want you to make me a fool. I want you to call me and say, Sean, they have all said they have seen him with their own eyes. Touched him. He's a resurrected being. He still has his body. Touched him with their hands like Thomas did. Seen him with their eyes. If you can't name every one of them saying this, why not? Why haven't they been testifying that they are personal witnesses of Jesus Christ? Because this is what the apostles would do. 
Now, don't play nuanced games with me. If you're an apostle of the LDS Church and happen to be watching tonight, don't play this wink, wink, we know, brother. We know. That's what they do. We know. What does that mean? Tell us that you're a witness, that you have seen him, apostle, so-and-so, apostle, so-and-so. Tell us plainly you have. But if you haven't seen him with your eyes, tell us that too. Stand up and have the guts, have the guts to tell your congregants that you've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't play these, these deceptive games that you know, you know. Tell us you have or you haven't, but you have to have seen him if you are truly an apostle. All right, the Greek and uh, not seeing him being an actual witness are not the only signs of being a true apostle. The Bible always reads apostles and prophets. It never reads prophet and apostles as the LDS Church always puts it, twistianity, twisted it around. They always put uh, uh, apostles and prophets in the Bible. Why do they do that? Because this is how the Lord established his church. Okay, the apostles spoken of in Ephesians 2.19 were first-hand witnesses of Jesus and held the office of an apostle in the foundation of the Lord's church. Jesus taught them and trained them the gospel so they could take it out to the world and share these saving truths. Upon their witness, the church would expand and miraculously grow. Once they had done their work, the Holy Ghost continued to perpetrate this work. If they could die, they didn't need to be replaced. The apostles Jesus called had a unique and special function. They witnessed all he did. They were taught by him. Paul was taught by him too, by the way. They, uh, they took the gospel forth. They performed miracles in his name. Do you see the LDS apostles performing miracles? Are they performing miracles? Where are they? Just show us a miracle. You know, at least pull. I'm not going to say that. And then they suffered death and they were appointed unto death. They were appointed to die for this. No replacement was needed. So the foundation of the offices of apostle was there, first-hand witnesses, and the office of prophets was there in the foundation, and we're going to talk about prophets ne next week. These offices are to be differentiated from being an apostle, just an apostle. There were many apostles in Scripture. We can read about them in the present day, and all the word apostle means is someone who's been sent forth. Um, we know that there are many people sent forth. Uh, in what were some of Barnabas was one. Junia, Junia was another one. Uh, you could consider, Jesus was considered an apostle because he was sent forth by God to this earth. You, I could say I'm an apostle in the, in the broad sense of the word because I have been sent to the LDS. I believe God has sent me to the LDS. You could be sent to an apostle to your own family. That's just the broad sense of the word, Okay. Mormonism claims to have modern-day apostles who are filling the vacated offices. The first apostles of Mormonism came about by way of revelation by the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon, who then chose uh, these replacement apostles to come forth. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, listen to this scripture. For I think that God has set forth us apostles last. Did you hear that? I think God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it, as it were appointed to death. 
for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. It is clear from this passage that the office of apostle was a one-time situation. Paul said we were sent forth as apostles last year, okay? And then he says we were appointed to death. That means they all died for it. And it says, and we were made a spectacle to angels and to men. And they were. They died ignominious deaths. And you recognize that phrase. Does this match in any way what the LDS apostles look like today? Do they, are they last? No, they continue. They regenerate themselves in the church. Are they uh, appointed to death? No, they're protected by bodyguards and, and limousines and drive first class in their jets around the world to share their gospel in their comfy uh, suits. Are they a spectacle? No, they're revered. If, if an apostle walks into a Mormon steakhouse, people stand for them. This isn't an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's laid out perfectly in these scriptures I'm giving you. There are all kinds of things to consider, but let's consider one more. Actually, three more, and I'll be quick. We have four minutes. In the book of Revelation, listen to this. It says in Revelation 21, 14, that the wall around God's heavenly city is supported, it says, quote, by 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 12 pillars, and in them the name of the 12 apostles of the lamb not the 24 the 12 here and uh, uh, in jerusalem and the 12 over in the americas that jesus called when he came and visited in the book of mormon not 24 not 138 apostles that have filled 12 and that's what it says that the foundation of the wall of heaven is set upon these 12 pillars why do we need more apostles at all it's unbelievable the 12 apostles of the lamb okay now, the LDS argue that if there were only 12 apostles, why did the apostles get together and call someone named Matthias to come along who would have replaced Judas? And then Paul comes along, and if he's in the office, that would be 13. And I'm going to explain this, and you may not agree with it, but I believe this is true. First and foremost, as I already mentioned, it was prophesied that they should call somebody to be replaced, that they should replace Judas, okay? Peter, jumping ahead of the game, impetuous Peter, before he gets the Holy Spirit, decides to do this before the advent of the Holy Spirit coming. They cast lots to decide who it should be, and it was between two men. It wasn't between uh, all the men in the world. It was between two. They narrowed it down. All right? They made their choice limited. They cast lots, and they chose a guy named Matthias. We never hear a word from Matthias again, nothing about him. But we read everything from Paul, who was called by God, and he trained for 17 or 13 years, I can't remember which, by the Lord Jesus Christ out in the wilderness to come back and be his 12th apostle. The Lord called 12 apostles to represent the 12 tribes. And yes, there were 12. Matthias, I believe, was an impetuous decision. I'm sure he was a good man, but he was not called of God. The advent of the Holy Spirit ensured that uh, Paul would be, and then the, the church began to operate as Jesus wanted it to. Okay, finally... There is no continuing uh, office of apostle because Timothy gives no qualifications for being an apostle, but he gives us qualifications for being a bishop, for being a deacon, for being a teacher, for being an elder. All these things Timothy says, you got to be this, you got to do that. You can be married, you can't do this, you can't, you can't be a brawler, you can't be a, a wine drinker. Apostle, he gives no qualifications because the office is closed up, all right? Office of apostle, 12 men. Office of Apostle fulfilled. 
office of apostle, have seen Jesus, have been a spectacle before the world, have given their lives and have their names written on one of the 12 pillars supporting the wall of heaven as written in the book of Revelation. And you're going to believe these guys in their Brooks Brothers suits who are telling you that they are an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want one of them to say they have seen him, touched him, and are personal eyewitness accounts of him being alive. One of them. Please, please, one of you. And if one of you, then it should be all of you, shouldn't it? All right, finally. I, uh, let's see, why is this? Okay, got through that. In relation to apostles, why do you suppose that no Bible-believing church, no Bible-believing scholars, seeking Christians, have ever established a church with 12 apostles? Why don't we have churches that say, oh, we got to have those 12 apostles and, and put them in office? I mean, there's enough charlatans in this world. How come there's not another church with their Bible scholars establishing 12 apostles to run and guide their church? The reason is, is because they know that 12 apostles is in the context of the scripture, like I've shared with you tonight, is completely blown away. If you read your Bible, Latter-day Saints, you're going to see those 12 men who you honor, who you stand for in reverence and silence, that, uh, that they have no need in the, in the church today. And yet the church sends out missionaries every single day. They're knocking on doors. I go to the Salt Lake airport on my way home, and there's one of me, and there is 50 missionaries going out. And there's 30 to 60,000 missionaries every day knocking on doors. And they get to the unsuspected, and they say, did Jesus have 12 apostles? And the person says, yeah. How come we don't have 12 apostles today? That's a good question. Well, what the church does, and here they are, and they show them the picture of the 12 apostles, and they say, these are the 12 apostles alive today. And the person who doesn't know the Bible says, wow, that sounds really good. And so they buy into it not knowing that the apostle, the office of apostle is gone. Finally, 2 Corinthians 11.13 describes false apostles. We'll conclude with this. It says, for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. This is uh, uh, interesting. I suppose in the opposite vein, we as Christians should start asking, where on earth is there a church that has men to be, who claim to have been uh, transformed into the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ? And when we discover the answer to that, we can say, I can think of only one. Let's uh, go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We have uh, callers Mike and Michael, uh, and uh, I'll take Mike first because he is LDS, first-time caller from Ogden. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I just was getting a little feedback there. Um, I just have a question on why you lie. Why do you lie to the people? What am I lying about, Mike? Well, it's quite quite easy and easy to explain to you. Um, you basically say that you had your you had you told the church to excommunicate you, and that's not actually the truth. Really? Not the truth. What is the truth? You can't you can't have you can't tell them to excommunicate you. You can have them remove your records, but we know you, Sean. We know you, and guess what, McFakey. It's coming, and you better watch the show on YouTube. It's great. You'll love it. McFake, you'll love it too. Thank you, Sean. You're the man. And broke your sleeves because you're you're really strong. All right, brother. Really strong, Sean. Thanks so much. Um, I I want him to know that uh, I did. 
uh, walk and I sent a letter and I said I demand to be excommunicated from the church and my wife is a witness to that the letter I sent is a witness to that the stake president in the in the court of 15 men said what if we don't want to excommunicate you and I said I'll argue with you to, to the death I want to be excommunicated so he's wrong on that which is typical for this person and uh, let's go to the next caller Michael in Ogden Michael you're on heart of the matter Hey, Sean, how's it going, bro? You're doing a good job, by the way. Thank you. I wanted to mention a couple of things. I sent you an email. Uh, one of them is, uh, if anything, uh, it shouldn't be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or church, if you go by name from the Bible. But uh, when Paul was writing his letters out, the majority of the time he wrote to the Church of God at Corinth or to the Church of God wherever. If you look in any version of the Bible, it would say to the Church of God. Yes. So... If we were going to go that way, we would say, uh, let's call our church the Church of God. I mean, I'm just saying if we wanted to just solely rely on that. I would agree with you on that. We mentioned that, uh, I think, last week or the week before, that the different names that uh, they called the church. And there was the church of the people of Ephesians and the people of Corinth and at this place and that and the church of God. So you're right. I don't, but uh, we talked about where they got the idea. It was from Alexander Campbell. Joseph Smith borrowed it from the Restorationist movement, and that's how they obtained this. You have to have the name of your church has to be called the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure, yeah, and they just got it from this one guy, huh? Yeah, it's from that one guy. Show any biblical uh, reasoning for it, or no, none whatsoever. In fact, today when I was reading the scripture, it said in First uh, Corinthians fourteen thirty three, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's in the plural there that there are many churches, but one body of Christ. Your point's well taken, Michael. Sean, I want to mention one more thing to you about synagogues. Uh, in, the, in the Book of Mormon, it mentions synagogues. Yeah. Uh, I've mentioned this to you before, haven't I? Yeah. Or maybe not, um, uh, but they're... they're, they're you can check history. You can check, you know, the Jew, the Jews. When I say the Jews, you know, the 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 um, they don't necessarily be have to be, you know, like Josephus and so on. Right, right. Historians, right. They kept their history very well intact and copied it very well. It was very important to them. Yeah. I mean, that's why we have an Old Testament generations, right, and things like that. But there was no synagogue. They said there was no synagogue. No. Until after. Babylon. Yeah. Until they returned. But in the Book of Mormon, uh, they say that they had synagogues. Yeah. Yeah, Michael. We've talked about that before, and, and, and the synagogues is a good one. I think it's harder to prove, but the ones I like is when in the Book of Mormon use Greek words. They're using Greek words here in the American continent. They're using Greek words like Timothy, and they use church, and they call Jesus Christ. They call him Jesus Christ. Jesus. 600 years. Jesus. 600 years before he's born, and they call him Jesus. Yeah, he, and I asked, uh, I asked um, uh, one of my bishops before I um, scrawled away from, uh, the, from LDS, uh, but I asked one of my missions about that, and they said, well, he was just, he was raised, Joseph Smith was raised on the, the um, King James Version. That it might have, uh, you know, uh, been a part of his uh, revelations and this and that the other. But yeah. the, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, he uses like Jesus. Why would he use the word Jesus? That's that's tr Jesus. You know, yeah. translated from from Aram Aramaic or whatever to Greek. Right. It's it's and a it, Greek word. Uh, 
Jesus, and they took it from Jesus and made it Jesus, and that's the hell, that's the Anglicanized version of Jesus, which is a Greek word. He uses Greek words all through the Book of Mormon, which exactly. the, the Greek language didn't even exist at the time exactly. he said he was translating. So I know, Michael. Hey, we're going to go on to another call, my brother. He also said that um, he also used the word a holy, uh, a holy ghost, a few times. Yeah. The holy ghost is not in in Greek. The Greeks, if you know, you're smiling, I'm watching you, I got on mute, but I'm watching you, you're waving. But the Holy Ghost was non-existent. Right. You didn't even have a trans transliteration or translation for that. I know. You're good points, Michael. Thanks so much, my friend. Hey, buddy. God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs> We're going, I got to be careful if I smile now. I got to go to Sarah and Oram. Sarah, Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm super. Hey, um, on you're talking about Paul earlier, uh -huh. and uh, why they called, why Jesus called Paul when they all already had Matthias. And your explanation of that is great. But I wonder because I've always had the understanding and belief that Paul specifically was called for the Gentiles. Yeah, well, I think. So I'm just wondering if if that wasn't the reason for the additional fossil. I think it's true uh, that he was called to the Gentiles, but I do, just from my understanding, uh, if we opened up the door where a 13th was called and filled the office of apostle, then uh, the LDS have a, a greater stance of as many apostles as are going to be called could be called. And the office, I believe, is supported by Revelation saying there are 12 pillars. Matthias being called uh, by Peter impetuously before the gift of the Holy, behold the Holy Spirit coming and telling them what to do, doing it by lots. And I just think the whole situation, it tells a story of uh, man doing man's will and not waiting on God to show his will forth. Uh, and so that's why I stand on that. But I understand your point and, and it's possible you're correct. Well, and you know, I never realized that before, but you're totally correct. Uh, Matthias is that's you're right they, that's it they yeah. talk about him being chosen and then you don't you don't hear from him again right and I you know and I've read the New Testament many times so and I, I never realized that before but uh, that was interesting you got into that topic and I enjoyed it you're doing a great great job and oh by the way I asked to be excommunicated too oh hey good I have some validation here thank you <laughs> okay. thank you so much right. Sarah have a great evening thank you bye-bye bye-bye Okay, Alice, we're getting to you uh, quickly, some uh, quick emails. Um, what, so what are you, Sean, a Calvinist or an Arminianist? Oh, goodness. Uh, I, I, I believe that we are predestined to choose. That's what I think. So uh, there's my answer. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I like some things Calvin said, not many, but I like some of them, and I like things that... Uh, uh, Herman Arminius said, or whatever his name was, and and uh, and I like what the Bible says most, and and that's what I go by, and so I try not to be an ist or an ism of anything. Uh, Christianist or Christianism just isn't working. Oh boy, the stand-up's getting bad. Let's go to Alice. Alice, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, here I am. Here you are, Alice. What's happening? This is Alice. Hi. I have three questions, but I'll ask the one first. Um, when it comes to polygamy and and rape. Polygamy and rape? Yes. Now, polygamy, if they castrated all these people, we would have no polygamists. 
and rape is another thing. If they would castrate them, we live in such a horrible world, and God gave us a beautiful world, but it's just horrible for what takes place with rape and polygamy. It is terrible. And then another thing is, Dr. Stanley, I have several... I have several tapes, and he talks so fast, I can't keep up with him if I was running. <laughs> Alice, you sound like a deer. Uh, you know, Dr. Stanley, he, he talked slow enough for me to understand him that one time, and I'm grateful for it. it the, the castration part, I don't have a, uh, a comment on that. Uh, it probably would work. So uh, I'll let you put that before the state senate and the judiciary, and we can go from there. God bless you. you. Got to turn that TV down, Alice. Will you help me put it up between the states and us? <laughs> it's not my forte. Maybe someone listening will do it. Okay. All right. God bless. Bye bye. Boy, couldn't you just see the liberal side on that one? Oh boy. All right. Let's go to Jack and Boise. Jack, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. Hey, Jack. You got to turn that TV down. Okay, so I'm on uh, next, obviously. You're on now. You're on the air. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I got a couple questions for you there. Yes. Uh, okay, back in ancient times, didn't they have prophets? Back in ancient times, yes, they had prophets. We're going to talk about prophets next week, but okay. I'll cover it now if you oh, want. that's fine. We're, we're going on here. Okay. And uh, Jesus had no wife, exactly? That's correct. That we know about, that was, has been written about. Right. He had no twins or quadruplets that we know about either. But go uh, that's ahead. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, when it comes to Mormonism, yes. And you say they don't believe in Jesus Christ? No, I didn't say that. Why? Why is it in their name? Church of Latter Day Saints. Okay, uh, Jack. I didn't say bringing back the old prophecy of ancient times. Jack. Why is that? Why is that so hard to direct from? Well, the reason that you have a heart... And Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. It was prophesied in ancient times. Okay. Jack, can I talk? It's Jesus, and we died for... He, 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 he spilled our blood, his blood, in order for us to get, you know, sanctified by saying, Oh, I'm sorry. I sinned today. Okay, Jack, stay on one point, okay? Let's just talk about one of your points. Which one do you want to talk about? One of the points. Pick one of the what points. What do you want to talk about? Well, well, I don't want, really, I haven't found any that are really exciting, but give me one that you really want to throw down on, and let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about ancient prophecies. Okay, ancient prophecies. No problem with how, that. How, how, how religion was ran in the ancient days. Okay, I agree with what happened in the ancient days, however you're, whatever that ancient days mean. I agree with that completely, Jack. But the problem is, is when Jesus came, the pro law and the prophets were fulfilled. The New Testament, the New Covenant teaches us that. Okay? Did, hold on. When did Jesus say that there will no more, no more be prophets or disciples of him? Okay, next week, I'm going to really get, give you all the answers, but I'm going to give you a few right now, okay? I'm asking you a question. Okay, I'm going to give you... When did he say... That there will not be no more prophets okay. or no more, okay? Okay, Jack, t turn your TV off or down or off because we're... It's, it's off. Okay. Listen, let me read you a scripture, okay? Okay. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. By his son. By his son. Not by the prophets. In the days of old, you're right. But in these last days, he speaks to us by his son. And the Holy Ghost speaks for the son. We no longer need a prophet when you have the Holy Ghost. Do you understand that? Yeah. The Holy Spirit. Okay. Jesus also... I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm not a Mormon. I'm a born-again Christian. You could have fooled me, man. I understand where people are coming from, from the Mormon religion. Well, okay. Well, there's an answer for you. Uh, Where are you going to church? I don't go to church. I don't believe in any... I don't believe in any... Uh, segment, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you don't have to believe in any seg- other sectarian. Other than just myself and what I read out of the Bible. Okay, well, you might... What do you want to call it? What do you want to call it? I don't want to... You don't want to belong to a sect or a denomination. Exactly. Okay. Because but, you know why? Why? Because it's all about money and uh, everything else that you go in there for. Well, it can be. And so I can understand you being uh, dis- disjointed about that. Worldly. Most of them are worldly. Okay, but, but Jack, not all of them are. And there are some very good men and women who have dedicated their lives to teaching the truth of the Bible. So it's really, really a general statement to say all of them are about this, all of them are about that. I know for a fact in your area, in, you're in Boise, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, I know in Boise there are many good churches there, Jack, that teach the Word of God in context, and it would help you clear up some of these things that you have sympathy for with the Mormon's beliefs. Because if you understand the Word, next week watch on Prophets, and I'll give you a whole slew of things about why Prophets are done with. But we're going to keep the show moving, okay? I always listen to you because it's so fun to listen to you. All right, Jack. It's been fun listening to you, too. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. Let's see. Let's go to Randy, a Seventh-day Adventist in, uh, in uh, Lime 1. Randy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, not bad. I'm just curious. Uh, the Mormons, they claim to be the one true church, and yet they call uh, Sunday the Sabbath. Oh, boy. How, why are you giving me this question? You of all people. I'm kidding. That was really... No one's laughing at that. I thought that was very funny. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and I'm a Sabbath keeper, so I'm really offended that they call themselves uh, the true church, and yet they keep Sunday. Well, you know what? Uh, we did a show on the Sabbath, and Randy, I completely agree with you. Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Never has been, never will be. Uh, I would disagree with you, but I, I'm not going to because I don't talk about what your doctors are. I don't know them completely. Uh, but the Sabbath... Uh, 1217 says... Uh, uh, the people that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ are the men in the church. Yeah. And that's where I, 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 I believe that keeping the Sabbath is absolutely biblical. Yeah. Well, what did Jesus say the two great commandments were? To uh, share the gospel and keep his commandments. Uh, he said to love your Lord your God with all your heart and he loved your neighbor as yourself. And in these all hang all the commandments. And so when Jesus came under the new covenant, we have the Sabbath day being fulfilled where we have every day is rest in him, not just one day out of the week. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I don't want to go down that road with you. I do agree with you completely that Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Saturday has always been. It's the day uh, that the Lord set aside for the children of Israel. 
All right, thank you. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. And we talked about that before in relationship to the LDS uh, beliefs, calling Sunday the Sabbath day. Barbara in Ogden. Barbara, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was Shard of the Matter because I just sharded in my pants from all the bull crap lines you feed people. Thank you, Rock. Hey, hey, Barbara. Barbara. Man, they're raising some tough people up there. All right, let's go to Joy. Joy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I just wanted to let you know that I have requested to be excommunicated back in 1979, uh -huh. and I was for 13 years. Then my second husband and I reactivated, and when, when I became really aware of what was going on, I requested that my name be removed from the rolls of the church through a letter. Uh -huh. So, yes, you can ask to be excommunicated, and you will be. Very good. Thank you. A third witness, young man, whoever you are. Third, you can be. And also, I have read your book in the last week, and thank you, thank you, thank you for the authenticity that you have given Christians, and that's a wonderful apologetic book. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. What a plug. Let's, let's keep that and roll that for commercials or something. Just kidding. Uh, our audience is not really being with me tonight. I'm sorry about that. Let's go to Mark from Ogden. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, let me see if I get you muted. There you go. All right. Hey, I read your book in one weekend. Haven't read one in, oh, 10 years, so. Wow. That for a plug. Thanks, Mark. Hey, uh, 2 John 9, uh, 9 to 11, whosoever transgresseth, can't, can't speak, transgresseth, you know what I mean, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any, any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that, biteth, he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of evil deeds especially if they come in suits. <laughs> hey, that, that's, uh, those are great passages, uh, Mark. Thanks so much, man. Amen. All right, God bless you. God bless. Okay. Uh, we have one line open, actually. The operators are on the other three, but there's a line open if you want to call. And uh, we're heading down toward the end, but please keep calling through. Let me read you another uh, passage. Uh, I mean, another question from Lynn N., what do Christians say about eternity? At least in Mormonism, we have an idea of what to expect. Um, and that's because uh, in Mormonism, there is very little uncertainty. There is certainty across the board into exactly what will happen, and that provides comfort. And when you have certainty and you have comfort, you don't break outside and search for truth. But uh, the Christian's walk is, hey, I'm going to trust God with what happens in the eternities. And we have very little information about what that is going to be. God has not come, in, come down and told us, you're going to walk on st streets paved with gold, or you're going to have 50 uh, virgins waiting for you if you do this. Or we don't have that in the word. We have Jesus and we have other people saying that eye has not here and uh, uh, eye has not seen and ear, ear has not heard uh, that which awaits them. Um, that's a terrible paraphrase. And uh, we have uh, little segments like that we have description of what heaven will look like in measurement and we have a, with the cherubims being on one side of the uh, Ark of the Covenant we have little glimpses 
But as far as what it's going to entail, we don't know. Jesus talks about mansions. So we know there's going to be some type of heavenly abode there. We know there's crowns. But we don't have an idea of progressing on and on and on and having eternal wives and families and multiple wives and billions of children and repopulating earths and creating our own universes because the Bible writers were not science fiction writers. And they gave us just what God wanted us to know. So in this life, to please Him, we walk by faith. And we do things because we love Him, not because we know exactly what is in store for us. But I truly believe where it, what's in store is going to blow your mind no matter what it is if you can walk out to the ocean or walk out to these beautiful mountains if you can look at a leaf in your hand or a newborn baby's foot and think that eternities aren't going to be something so magnificent at the in the hands and arms of our creator i don't know what to say but it is going to be fantastic i can say that all right let's go to michael in ogden again uh michael you're on heart of the matter I'm still shy. Oh, Boy, they're just getting good. Just good. Let's go to William in Farmington. William, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Michael. No, I'm, I'm Sean. Oh, yeah. Right, that's what I meant. You were just talking to Michael. Yeah. All right. Hey, so, uh, Sean. Yes. Let me just uh, make a comment quick. I think that... This is McFakey. <laughs> however you can develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whether it be in the Mormon Church, the Methodist Church, the Catholic Church. Uh -huh. I think that can be the right church for you. Okay. I personally am not a Mormon. I have been. And I know you found the way as well. And so have many other good people. But if you're a Mormon, you want to stay a Mormon, you can still be born again. Mm -hmm. And Jesus Christ can change your life. That's all I want to say. I would agree with you, William. In fact, that's the premise of the book, is that uh, you can become born again and, and uh, be in the Mormon church. I was for, uh, for four years after I came to know the Lord uh, intimately. My only, uh, my only equivocation would be that you're not going to be able to stay long. You know, um, I don't know how to put it, except that once you come to have a relationship with the Lord, you're not going to be able to stay in a place that doesn't teach you his word, that doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't thrive there. You don't worship him. Uh, you have to go to temples to, to, to do rites and rituals. You have to pay certain amounts and obey certain things on certain days and dress. And usually the liberty in Christ won't allow you to sit there through all this junk. So uh, I would agree there are people who are born again. They are in the LDS church, and God will lead them out. Let's go to Laura in Salt Lake City on line two. Laura, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, son. I just want to thank you for everything you do. I really have gotten a lot out of your shows and everything, and I'm a former Mormon also. Oh. And I called with a comment and uh, about what you said earlier about how if the prophet walks into a stake center, everyone has to stand up. Right. And I went to a Christmas party this year for the company my husband works for, and it's owned by the Mormon Church, but it's a separate corporation and, you know, doesn't really acknowledge being part of the church. But Hinckley came to make remarks, and the whole room stood up when he came in, and again when he started to leave the podium. Wow. And I was just appalled, and 
but I was afraid not to stand up because I don't want to get my husband fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I really appreciate these insights. They just they they are so good for people to hear that, and the honor of men is all over the place with them. But uh, I, I think that if, if people stood up, if Peter or Paul or James or John walked into a room, they would be screaming, sit down, sit down, I'm just a man just like you. Yeah, that's why I was appalled. <laughs> yeah, that's a great call. Thanks so much, Laura. John, can I say something about what you just said to the last caller, too? Sh sure. I think if you get born, once you get born again and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you come to learn that you can't have a relationship with him if you don't trust him. He can't save you unless you trust him to save you. And as long as you're doing things yourself to earn your salvation, you're not trusting him. You are so right. That's a, it's a great point, and uh, it's absolutely true. You have to give it all to him, and in Mormonism, you can't do it. Yeah, and you can have it both ways, and sooner or later, God's going to deal with you and make you know that. Yeah. Great point, Laura. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, we have two minutes, but we have Alex, who's a first-time caller. Alex, you're on Heart of the Matter. You got one minute, my friend. Hey, do you know the Ten Commandments, Sean? Yes. Do you know the Eight Beatitudes? Well, I try. Do you know the Seven, seven Deadly Sins? Uh, some of them. Some of them. There was an interesting segment last week. Matt Lauer was interviewing a lady that wrote a book about the seven deadly sins and the cities where you can find them in this country. Wow. Denver got lust. Sloth went to New Orleans. Gluttony went to Birmingham. Uh, greed or avarice went to Silicon Valley. Guess where pride fell? It's not Salt Lake. Yeah, and guess why? Why? Because there are more plastic surgeons per capita than anywhere else in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if your facts are right, but your delivery is perfect. Oh, uh, uh, Ralph went to Detroit, uh, and, uh, and I forget what, some, uh, I think it was Memphis, Tennessee got uh, envy or something like that. <laughs> but I found it interesting that Vegas, New York, L.A., None of the things that he's got any of the seven deadly sins. Hey, Alex, uh, that is a great call. You made everybody smile. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'd love to just hang out with him for a while. Listen, uh, great show. Good calls, except for a few, and uh, a fun time. Uh, we love you. We love the Lord, and we know that he changes lives. People who are desperate for him, people who are proud. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, go to him tonight. Confess your sins to him. Tell him, I'm a sinner. I need you to be my Lord and King. Forgive me of my sins. Save me from certain death, Jesus. Become Lord of my life. Give me new birth. Give me a new heart. Make me a new creature in Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, if you wait on him, he will show up. God bless you till we see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run.